Welcome to Queued Up with Ziz and Pam, where powerful conversations that question what it means to be educated in the 21st century. So in our last segment, Pam left off with this really cool stat. <laughs> I don't know if I wanna call it really cool, but <laughs> these statistics, it, it makes you think. But I'll let you talk about that stat. But before we go there, I, the one that really caught me by surprise and, and we're reading from an article, we're reading from a blog post that Pam just shared, a generation of students caught between two worlds. And the one point that you made that really caught my attention, already 50 million strong freelancers are projected to make up 50% of the workforce in the United States by 2020. Mm -hmm. Here we are. <laughs> yes. Yes. Here we and, are. you know, so that, that stat comes from a report by the Institute for the Future and Dell Technologies. Mm -hmm. So it was a forecast. And that one, after reading that, I kind of went like, whoa, how well, did that happen? It has happened. I mean, the thing is, is that businesses are being transformed by technology just like we are. Yeah. And so how they work and the specific skills they needed uh, or need has evolved. And so that's why when you look at Glassdoor, Indeed, and you look at the top jobs, uh, good luck recognizing the names. And the jobs each year are changing dramatically. Well, let's, let's really put a framework around this. I mean, so Glassdoor and Indeed are sites where individuals go to look for jobs. Mm -hmm. So for you students out there, you might want to start looking because I said that and, and I would always tell students, get a LinkedIn account. I, I literally had a conversation with a young man yesterday. Uh, I reached, it wasn't a conversation, I should say it was, it was an Instagram direct message. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, hey, um, you know, how are things? What's going on? And, you know, he said, hey, things are going well. Um, I'm taking online classes right now and finishing up the semester. And I said something about, do you have a LinkedIn account? He said, no. And I'm like, really? No? You're a mechanical engineer. Even though you're a mechanical engineer, you still should be starting to reach out to the people in your profession and ask them, hey, what do you do in your job? Yeah. What are the skills you need? That's the value and the power of LinkedIn. And for whatever reason, and we call these students the, the digital, what are they, the native? Uh, uh, digital natives. <laughs> the digital natives. Yes. Yeah, they yeah. are, but they don't, I don't think they necessarily understand how to use what's in their, what's in their hands. No, and there's, a, there's actually a freelance website as well where people are now going to find the people with the specific skills. But there's over seven point, last time I think it was 7.6 million unfilled jobs that require these kinds of skills that again, because we have put our children into this system that hasn't been, it's like a super tanker ship that has not been able to turn in this huge, I mean, it needs to go 180 and it can't in its framework. It is inadequate to respond to such rapid change. This is the school system. And so what's happening is because of that and because we value that they adhere to compliance, conformity, individual achievement, they're not, they're missing out. We're, we're in an entire new collar industry, blockchain, cybersecurity, the careers of the future are coming from 
uh, these new agile emerging industries that we have completely uh, not prepared our children to respond to because we have told them, hey, here's the framework, which gets back to that article, the old you know, system which just saw blue collar or white collar as the pathway and depended on corporations as having the jobs, which is no longer the case. So the new world is this much more skill specific stacking of credentials, uh, jobs that as companies are transforming, you're not going in for that middle management up, you know, position anymore because you have to have a skill set that you bring to the table because they've become globally project-based. And this has, has totally transformed the world. And it's why the individuals becoming and their skill set and what they can contribute to a whole is, is critical. Well, I mean, not only does that impact, you know, secondary education, but then also higher education because there needs to be a shift as well. So uh, a university that, uh, University College, well, it's the University of Maryland University College, they just recently changed their name and I just don't recall what it is because it's this long name. Their branding hasn't taken place in my head yet, but essentially, you know, they talk about, you know, learning certain skills, whether it's towards cybersecurity or internet of things. And even that particular concept is still, these are concepts that we aren't talking enough about. These are conversations that are taking place in the middle or high schools at all. Well, because the adults don't operate in that framework. We're adjusting in our personal life. Yeah. We're not realizing how rapidly the technology has uh, forced the change to happen in how businesses perform. And so what you do is you have these large super corporations, if you will, that then uh, somebody described it as a barbell. So you have corporations and this huge pool of independent talent that can work on their own projects, you know, independent of a corporate. We're person to person economy too. We yeah. have been transformed where we don't go through institutional systems. We can now Venmo each other, we can Airbnb, we can go in an uh, Uber, we can uh, go on a site and find all the different people we know that have the skill sets we need to do whatever project, just like you and I have this uh, different skill sets. And we have Kara, who does all of our website, logo, you know, putting our social media together. We could not do it without her. Right. So here's right. our little team of three that is the future, but none of us posted a job. None of us did. Okay, you just said a lot in a short period of time, which comes <laughs> back to people and relational. Because, you know, just for those of you who didn't hear the first segment, Pam and I met about a year ago. I read one of her blog posts. I was like, oh my God, I love this. And I interviewed her for a segment that I never released called releasing your child's superpowers. And about, what, three and a half weeks ago, I reached out to Pam and says, we gotta talk. And shared an idea, she loved it, and we just went full steam ahead. The beauty of what we did was, because of your resources, we, we collaborated like a, in a partnership. And that's the beauty of all of this. So 
have so many different thoughts. I'm like ping-ponging around. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a lot to take in. So the blog post dealt with this issue of a generation of students caught between two worlds. The old world, which their parents understand, which uh, their grandparents understood, and the new world, which all of us aren't even able to keep up with. There was a, uh, in Thank You for Being Late, this book by Thomas Friedman, he interviews the, the guy who is in charge of SpaceX, and he draws a curve, he calls it the hockey stick. Uh, so, and it's Moore's law where you double, double, double every you know, couple of years, da, 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 da. And then you start going exponential. We're seeing it happen with the pandemic, right? The pandemic is probably, this virus has been around more than just a few weeks or a couple months. It has just hit that hockey stick going right up it uh, at this moment in so many places. So what happened with uh, technology is that's what's happened, but it's moving faster than humans can absorb. He shows this graph in his book where the guy from SpaceX does an X about where uh, we are in our understanding and up here is where the actual technology changes. We are trying to keep up, but we can't even comprehend the rate of change. So this is where we are now. So our students are stuck. They're in the middle. They're, they're in the old cultural paradigm of you got to go to college to get a job to be able to have security for your, you know, which, which is long gone. The average job, as we said, was the average job is 4.2 years for everyone. Right. It's 2.8 years for, um, for students to uh, 25 to 34. And the fact is that it's going to be, they're going to have eight to 10 careers in their lifetimes continuing to have to change and upskill as technology transforms. Well, well, let's say, I mean, that's eight to 10 jobs by the time they are 38. <laughs> Forget, <laughs> a lot. You know, yeah, that's a lot. And yeah. whereas when you think most parents, I think what they've had, like maybe three jobs over their lifetime for the most part. Mm -hmm. and, and what I'm finding and in the individuals I talk to within a corporation, let's say, you know, one of the big three corporations, you say you're an engineer. I mean, so you're changing from project to project based on what is coming down the pipeline. And I think I shared in a segment before the, the, the car, the car is no longer about the actual vehicle. It's about software. Yep. Yep. A whole new game. I think this also relates to, um, I had Shan on LinkedIn, uh, Shannon Oliveria had asked me a question. She's a middle school educator and she said, so given this, okay, so given that we have the framework that is the super tanker, that is this rigid system that is not able to transform fast enough, she said the million dollar question, how do we innovate or inspire while simultaneously playing the game of school? And I said, here is the, the dilemma. Yeah, so, okay. With that question, great question. Keep those questions coming. But so what was your response? How did you respond to her? Well, I respond, this is the million dollar question. On the other hand, we as parents and even educators, her question was specific to educators, but we do have the power to not feed the machine. We're all, feed, we're all feeding the machine being, uh, you know, teachers are in the same position as students being treated as vessels 
that they can just put certain amount of information in and spit it out. You know what, and that's actually, I, I'm gonna pause you for a second there because that's exactly what I was gonna share with you before with an example. About four, week, four years ago, actually, I was given a presentation and I used Amazon at the time. And this is when their Amazon Go concept store was, had not actually launched. You know, so I would share with students, I'm like, hey, here is where we are. Here are the skills that companies are looking for. And I said, here's Amazon Go Concept Store. Look at this trailer. Show the quick, show the quick clip. They look at it and they go, whoa, wow, what is, and they go all oohs and ahs. And then I talk about like, what are the skills needed? I said, because you no longer need an individual to staff a store. You only need this device to walk through. And they just go, wow. Now, here's the funny thing about that. It's actually in Seattle. They're on their way to opening up two or three more stores. So it's here. Yeah. And I think, so here's the real clincher. What caught my attention was these teachers, they were like, whoa, I didn't know this. They had no idea. So like you said before in one of the segments, the teachers aren't able to keep up with things because... We're not necessarily, like you said, the system is not keeping up. And it's hard for a system to keep up because it's nearly impossible. It's too big. It's too big and it's too rigid and has too many layers. So when people say education reform, you can't reform the super tanker. It's never going to be agile. But you can break it into systems. It still has a role in our yeah. culture as uh, really a place to... Um, basically take care of children so kid, kid, uh, parents can go to work. It has a place where we can feed kids. Although a lot of the roles that we've, we've chosen to put on our schools can happen in our communities. But let me get back to this question. So how did I respond? I said, yeah, we have a dilemma. So we have uh, schools that focus on compliance, conformity, individual achievement with success as a measurable output. GPA, graduation, test scores, awards. So this is counter exactly the opposite of what our children need to know for life and work in the 21st century. They need to be adaptable. They need to be agile, right? They need to be creative. They're going to have to think of things, on, and not creative in an art sense, creative in a, a way of looking at things differently, critical thinking, Yes. right? Critical thinking isn't taught in simulated environments. I think we talked about this before. It's taught when you care about something and need to solve it. And the most important thing that is not taught in our schools, and especially parents are seeing it now as their students sitting there with the headphones, looking at a machine individually, or their computer as they're learning, right? Uh, it's not learning, uh, is collaboration. Everything is about working with others. It's not about personality, introvert, extrovert. I had a parent ask me that once. It's about being able to collaborate and interface, whether it's virtually, physically, and probably in most cases, both. But really, success in life today involves meaningful, meaningful engagement with activities and people. It involves freedom of choice of the individual and responsibility of the individual. So the freedom isn't freedom from everything to not do anything. It's freedom to choose how you respond. This is Viktor Frankl and his whole philosophy of, of logotherapy and meaning set, you know, healing through meaning. Our personal responsibility to 
answer the calls that life is giving us uniquely individually. And, and it's so funny you mentioned that in that last segment, I mentioned Steve Powers and his wife, Chris, who I went to college with. And not only did he just, not only did he talk about the conversations he had with his grandfather, but both Chris and Steve talked about the freedom. When you have freedom from the system, it allows you to create. Mm-hmm. And, and that, when, when he said that, you could feel the energy Mm-hmm. from both he and he and his wife Chris and they both have you know they have children at home but what's important is that he is around young adults because of his job so hopefully uh what we're doing here with these conversations is sparking individuals who are working within the system and hopefully we can help with these conversations you not we're not against how would you say it, Pam? I think you said it much better than I did last time. Yeah, I mean, well, we're looking at what is. I mean, I right. think it was, you know, well-meaning in that we were wanting to help. And I think I discussed Alex Besley's quote, which is, well-meaning is the opposite of meaning, and our kids need meaning. Um, but really, so the question is, how do we inspire engaged learning within a rigid framework. And so I said, we start with the principles of what learning is. True learning needs three components. It needs interest. Number one, interest. Yeah. That's when you remember things. You're not gonna, you you might be able to, we've taught them to be this, you know, we talked about a behavioral uh, carrot and stick kind of methods that yes, they will absorb to spit out on a test, and then they will not remember because they're not interested in it. Right. The second thing is relationship. They will do it in relationship. This is why the future of teaching and, and work with teachers and even parents becomes this co-learner, coaching, ways to encourage the child to develop into the best version of themselves, not to fit into somebody else's decision, but it's up to us to look at them saying, I see you, yeah. I hear you, Okay, let's go. And, and I'm gonna go into the, the different uh, steps that I think are involved in that. And then the last thing, the third thing that they need to truly learn is safety, belonging, emotional safety, that they're safe to, to show themselves here, which again, cannot happen in the school's environment where they have the wrong answer if they raise their hand and it's looked upon as poo-poo. Um, the other, uh, is physical safety, obviously. I mean, if right. you're in an environment where you're worried um, about your safety or you're not eating or, you know, all these things that we have to recognize affect whether uh, some kids from certain situations affects their ability to truly learn. So teachers in some districts have to adhere to, to testing man- mandates. So what could they do within the school? So the first thing I said, or in their classroom, look at each student to be as valuable as, as they are. That you can tell them that fitting in this system does not define their worthiness, okay? And the fact that they don't fit in has nothing to do with whether or not they succeed, right? As a matter of fact, we know dyslexic students, you know, 35% of entrepreneurs are just dyslexic. Yeah. B and C students are the ones that accumulate the most wealth if that is the goal of our economy. So, so really, this, this valedictorians don't. Valedictorians, as we talked about before, become generalists. They don't develop their individual passion and they have to fit in conformed uh, frameworks. They don't become entrepreneurs. So that's one. Number two, we have to create collaborative experiences 
solving real world problems rather than focusing on out of date content absorption. Out of date content absorption doesn't matter. So what are you doing? And then not having this, you know, people say, oh, I tried to give projects and you know, you create one go one grade for the project. No, 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 no. Every person as they contribute brings a skill to the table and they have to figure out how to collaborate and figure that out. Uh, well, well, you know, I was going to say, as a part of figuring out is individuals can take on different roles as they progress in, in solving whatever it is they're working on. So someone may have a particular skill set that they didn't even know about. And they're like, oh, wow, I didn't know I could do this. Yeah. And that's where that interest comes in. And, yeah. and then somebody else might see it and go, hey, you know what? You're really good at that. So they acknowledge it. Yeah. So this, this, this example takes me back to sports, of course, because we practice those things. That's what a coach does. They celebrate the things that you do really well, but they also coach you to help you learn new things. Yes. My, my daughter was in a class and they, uh, it was an entrepreneurship where they kind of did a, a uh, shark tank kind of thing. And so they had to come up with an idea and then they pitched it to real entrepreneurs. And so she um, is my one who's the artist and the, and the actress and the screenwriter and the, you know, has all of these interests and skills and talents that um, I really, really value. And so she worked on this website about, you know, gifts and all this stuff, but there was somebody who built the website who put the system together she could not have done, but she became the spokesperson. And their team actually won, not because they had the best product, but because she could stand up there and explain it in a way that in, inspired their, them to look at this and say, oh my gosh, yeah, they understood that. So, so it's like, who's more important, the jet fighter pilot or the maintenance man? Both. Right, you can't fly a plane without the maintenance man, and the maintenance man wouldn't have a job without the jet fighter pilot. Right, exactly. So equal, equal. So let let me go back to the third thing I said to the teachers. So the first was looking at the kids as valuable as they are, uh, collaborative experiences, solving real world problems. The third thing was encourage questions and challenges to the curriculum in a respectful manner. Why are we learning this? What's going on? You know, uh -huh. let them challenge it, not poo-poo, just do this, do as you're told, you know, eat your vegetables. Let, let's spend some time on that because I think you hit on to something. It's not like question, it's not like the students aren't asking that question. Yeah. They aren't getting the response. Yeah. And, and I think some teachers, they, they, they're frustrated because I think they feel a particular way, like they might be asking the same question. Yes. Well, and I, and there's some, there's a, a new film that's coming out that I'm involved with called... Uh, math, uh, the Gatekeeper Math in America. It's by Vicki Abelis, who also does Race to Nowhere and Beyond Measure, What Counts Can't Be Counted. And she just showed me a segment of a teacher in Indiana who would do at the end of the year, uh, look at a survey of her students and they would say, why are we doing this? And she would say that was like 70% of the responses. So she reformed her class. And now that is not the primary question. But this goes to number four. In a classroom, make mistakes and struggle, struggling a valued part of the learning process. Okay, not the right answer, but the effort to get that answer done, which is why 
I think we're seeing this movement towards competency-based, uh, you know, where you're valuing the mastery of it, not the, and the, which involves the struggle and the mistakes. So imagine if teachers embrace the mistakes, because guess what? That is how you learn to adapt and adjust you need to to have those mistakes which you all make hello this idea that we have to be perfect is uh you know of course that detrimental well and and i literally just wrote a chapter on this yesterday <laughs> i mean imagine we wouldn't have walt disney if he had listened to the editor who said basically you have no imagination or good ideas we wouldn't have oprah if she weren't fired from the anchor position in baltimore I mean, you know, to use some, you know, LeBron is like what he's lost five NBA finals. Tom, all of these individuals who have achieved have always failed their, their way to success. Well, that's resilience, right? Yes. Resilience does not come when we train them. I wrote another blog that was called, you know, uh, parenting on the right side of the balance. You know, we all, a balance sheet needs minuses and pluses to balance. We've only allowed the plus side, do everything right. So I, we have to embrace the whole, which is the, um, the struggle as well as the, the accomplishments. Well, I, you know, in conversations and uh, speeches that I've given to students, I'll say to them like, hey, what is this? And they'll say an iPhone. And I'm like, yeah. And the guy who came up with that iPhone, Steve Jobs, was fired from his company and thankfully he was because when he got fired and he went off to Pixar he learned about some technologies that he was unaware of mm -hmm. and when Apple needed him back he brought those technologies and consequently he has completely changed the mobile device system yes. in our world yes and I think also Duncan Wardle will talk about this. He used to work for Disney and he talks about that innovation needs diversity, not yes. like diversity the way we've been taught to think of, but diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. We also see this with athletes. You know, Michael Epstein talked about this in his book, Range, having the ability to do different things and later in life adjust and utilize all these different ways of looking at things to bring that to the table. It's also Ideolab, one of the greatest inventor, it's, it's out of Stanford. They bring the psychiatrist in with the designer, in with the engineer, in with the whatever, because that diversity of perspectives, ideas, cultures, creates innovation. You don't have innovation when you're in a narrow river of thinking, which is what we teach. Well, you just hit the nail on the head. When you're in the same room with the same people, you learn the same thing, which is boring. Yes, <laughs> right, it devalues the, the individual. The other thing I say is uh, for students or for teachers um, and also for parents, allow students to approach assignments according to their interests. Yes. The teacher becomes the co-learner co and coach you reframe everything and people bring to the table what they value or think is interesting. I went to a workshop on, on book writing uh, that was done by Kelly Notaris. She wrote this book, uh, The Book You Were Born to Write. And so she did a workshop. And at the fourth night, she had us all stand up for five minutes and pitch whatever it was we're interested in. And there were 16 of us. 
it was the most inspiring night because each of us would share what we were passionate about and it varied and we each learned something about each other and that vulnerability that ability to uh, share something that you cared about that was so different but it brought us all together because we were all there sharing something that we really were inspired to write about and share with the world. Well, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. If they're interested, the students are interested in something, you don't have to say, hey, go do this, go do that. They're doing it already. As a matter of fact, they might be like, hey, can we stay up a little longer? I wanna work on this. Hey, can you help me with this? Can yes. you help me with that? Yes. Yes. That's what we want. Yeah, I say go down the rabbit holes. That's why I'm saying this pandemic right now is giving <laughs> such an opportunity to let kids explore and do different things. So the sixth thing I say is as much as possible, limit the role of school in the lives uh, of, of the students, which means minimal homework or anything outside and encourage involvement in their homes, in their communities, volunteering, part-time jobs, internships, help them understand who they are and how they fit in the world by de-emphasizing this role. We have moved school to the center. We talked about it in one of our other uh, episodes. And that is limiting our children's ability to really have, uh, to keep up with what is happening and also to learn about themselves in different ways. Yeah. yeah. So was there any other things that you added or was it just the six things? Because I'd love for you to recap it if one you One more was uh, partner. We've got this, we have to build an echo, which I also wrote about what now. We need to build an eco-educational system where the school is not at the center, but those silos are broken down and the infrastructure is created in the community. So partnering with parents, parents businesses, community leaders to create this ecosystem to relieve the pressure that's being placed on schools that is not their job. It's well, not, not their job. Well, when you say schools, my, what we're really saying is the teachers, because the teachers really feel that. Well, and pressure. I actually, uh, that when I wrote it on the LinkedIn, I said teachers, but I say yeah. schools a little bit too, because I mean, the yeah. teachers, unfortunately, they're the, they're the front line, right. but the schools themselves have this role that they need to be the be all end all. They need to feed the kids, take care of the mental health. They need to teach them about careers. They need to prepare them for college. There's no way right. what we put them. It is again historians will not be kind to us really we decide it's not our responsibility they're not and we can sit back and criticize and say oh they're not doing a good job when we're all not taking our individual responsibilities to contribute to that whether we're a business leader and mentoring up or a parent who is fighting for our children's right to be who they are you know it is our job to take personal responsibility for ourselves, for our communities, and do it together, build yes. this ecosystem. So those were the seven, so really seven things to break down the silos, to create an environment that allows every student to flourish, to be seen and accepted and encouraged to develop into the best version of themselves. So let's, that. let's, yeah, if you could recap all seven and just go through okay. that and of course, the, the notes, you'll be able to get the notes, uh, our audience will be able to get the notes if you sign up on our website yes. at qedup.com. Yes. And so, uh, so really, let me start with the three things that, that true learning requires. Interest, relationship, safety, emotional yes. safety, and physical safety. Now, what can we do, especially this was, was responding to educators. So the first thing, 
value the student as they are. The student is perfect, the system is flawed. You look at it that way, it's, you can start there. Two, create a collaborative experiences solving real world problems rather than focus on out of date content absorption or even content absorption. It's the dish, this goes to relational intelligence versus task intelligence. Three, encourage questions and challenges to the curriculum. Not get the right answer, don't disagree with the teacher, disagree with the teacher. Third uh, or fourth, make mistakes and struggling a valued part of the learning process. Five, allow students to approach assignments according to interests. The teacher becomes the co-learner and coach. Six, as much as possible, limit the role of the school in the lives of the children when they go home. Allow them to go out into the community, into their homes, to take care of responsibilities and gain experiences. Seven is to partner with parents, businesses, community leaders to create an eco-education system to relieve the pressures of being placed on the teachers. Wow, I, I love that framework. Um, I'm sure I'm excited to hear what the response will be back from that teacher. Yes. And um, I'm hoping any other teachers who are out there would love to hear your feedback, any parents, any students, we wanna hear from you. Yes. So this is a great way for us to end our segment. Thank you, Pam, so much for sharing that with us. I mean, it, it goes back to, in our last segment, what Dr. Shafali said, you don't fix your child. You create the conditions for them to rise. So again, we're here having powerful conversations that question what it means to be educated in the 21st century. Thank you for joining Pam and I as we question our current system. Thank you. <laughs>